0: Hi everyone, welcome to another edition of the Catholic Canuck podcast on another beautiful day that the Lord has made. Quote, in all you do, remember the end of your life and then you will never sin. End quote from the book of Sirach, chapter 7, verse 36, one of many nuggets of wisdom from the book of Sirach in our lovely Catholic Bibles. What a great gift the church has given to all of us that we could read from the Bible and uh, you know we've heard obviously we know both the book of Psalm and Proverbs so many great uh, books of the Old Testament that we can get so many great lessons from. I also highly recommend that you read the book of Cyrax Some real practical advice even for our times today and I always uh, think about St. Dominic Savio the, uh, the one of the younger saints that we've had in the history of the church. He died when he was only 15 years old. He was a student of St. John Bosco's um, boys school back in the 19th century and uh, he lived such a short life but he said I'd rather die than commit a sin and uh, what a beautiful example that he provided to us and even though he didn't live very long on this earth he ultimately well that strategy that game plan got him to heaven he's a saint now and uh, boy that's uh, some some practical advice that we can take and use in our everyday life especially when we're thinking about living a sacramental life a life close to the lord go to confession often receive the eucharist worthily and uh, use the spiritual weapons at our disposal particularly the rosary we've got to pray it every day our lady has asked us to do that so let's pray it every day and let's grow in relationship with jesus christ and spread that love and uh and faith to other people that's what jesus wants us to do so speaking of that i'm really excited to have a good friend of our podcast dr jason west he's the president of newman theological college uh, here in Edmonton, Alberta. So I'm based out of the Archdiocese of Edmonton. I live in Fort Saskatchewan, and a lot of great fruit comes from this particular school that we have here in our diocese. And um, Newman's recently received a fantastic grant, uh, well, worth well over one million dollars Canadian, and it was from a uh, organization in the United States called the Lilly Endowment Fund. So uh, this money is going to be used to put for a great cause all around, really supporting vocations here, not only in our archdiocese but across Western Canada and, and across Canada for that matter as well. So a lot of good fruit's going to come from this. Jason's going to talk about it, and uh, I always like to to talk about some of the things that we're doing locally. I know we have a lot of guests from across Canada, the United States, even around the world, but uh, it's always nice to to share with our listeners, particularly those of you who are from outside of Canada you can kind of get a glimpse of what we're doing in our little neck of the the woods here in our area of the church and how we're promoting and spreading the gospel to the world. So without further ado, really excited to share this conversation with Dr. Jason West. We'll see you on the other side, my friends. Praise be Jesus Christ now and forever. Well, we're very blessed to have the following guest join us. He's been with us before. Uh, Go back to episode 35 uh, to double back and listen to our first interview with Dr. Jason West. He's the president and vice chancellor of Newman Theological College. Also a professor there, right, Jason? You you, you wear a lot of hats and do a lot of things. And uh, so we're really, really glad to to have you again to talk about uh, vocations and a really exciting new um, uh, grant that was given to Newman Theological College by uh, an organization called the Lilly Endowment Fund. So uh, yeah, welcome, Jason. Thanks for coming back on the podcast again. It's great to see you.
1: Thanks for having me, David. It's it's always a pleasure to get a chance to talk with you.
0: Yeah, thank you very much. And uh, maybe for our listeners that uh, we do have several listeners outside of Alberta, uh, mm-hmm. a lot from Eastern Canada and the United States and around the world here in our, our beautiful universal church that we belong to. So maybe uh, just explain what uh, Newman Theological College is all about and uh, what your role is there.
1: Yeah, sure. So uh well, Newman was founded in, in 1969 uh, by the Archbishop of Edmonton at the time, uh, Archbishop Jordan, uh, coming out of his experience of the, the Second Vatican Council. Uh, and he had this vision of uh, establishing a college that grew out of the, the local seminary, uh, St. Joseph's Seminary, which had been there since 1917 and is, is still, still uh, with us. We work in in partnership with them. And his vision was to see uh, seminarians uh, and religious, um, along with lay people studying theology to serve the church. And the thought was uh, rather than having a seminary where the seminarians were uh, away with one another for many years before going out into the church that over that period of formation, they would go through their studies of theology and dialogue with lay people who were also working to serve the church. Uh, and so that's, that was our founding you know, vision. Uh, it, uh, named after St. John Henry Newman, uh, who also has uh, a theology of uh, the engagement of lay people in the church. Uh, and, and out of that, uh, well, we've grown o- over the years in, in different ways. Uh, right now, Uh, We are uh, doing a number of things. Our our major programs are really the um, uh, Master of Divinity, which prepares seminarians for priesthood, as well as lay people who are going to work in professional chaplaincy in different capacities, uh, prison ministry, uh, military chaplaincy, hospital chaplaincy, and so forth. Uh, then we also have a Master of Religious Education program, which uh, trains Catholic uh, teachers. It's typically, people who are already teaching in the Catholic school system uh, so that they can uh, get further uh, formation in religious education or for, for leadership. Uh, so that's quite an important uh, role as well. And also last year, we... Um, Uh, or the last two years we developed this uh, Bachelor of Arts in Catholic Studies, which helps prepare uh, seminarians with their pre-theology courses that they need as well as lay people uh, to get a a solid education uh, within the intellectual tradition of the church to go out and transform uh, society in their various uh, secular endeavors. Um, And then beyond that we have the Benedict 16th Institute, which is uh, leading this uh, particular uh, project uh, that you mentioned from from uh, Lily, Pathways to Ministry, and does a number of things in terms of outreach, faith formation opportunities, um, uh, and continuing education. So so that's sort of a, a broad big picture of what we do. Uh, my role there as uh, the president of the college is primarily... Uh, working with the governance of the, the college, uh, all the background work that's uh, done so that our uh, professors can be successful in the classroom, <laughs> really empowering them to be able to, uh, uh, to carry out the mission of the school.
0: You mentioned there's some programs for uh, folks that are, that are teachers in Catholic education here in Alberta. Maybe we should explain that to listeners too a little bit. We have a, kind of a unique uh, relationship mm-hmm. with uh, Catholic education and Alberta, our, our provincial government funds Catholic education. So, hey, Jason, maybe just explain that really quick to our listeners that uh, that aren't from Alberta so that they understand the context of, of why it's important and, and what role Newman Theological College has to play in uh, the formation of teachers to Catholic schools.
1: Sure, yeah, because we have, uh, yeah, as you say, because of the public funding system in uh, in Alberta, which is also shared in, in Ontario, it's not unique to us, uh, as well as Saskatchewan, I believe. Uh, we uh, the Catholic schools uh, are fully funded, and um, in, in Alberta, uh, at least in Edmonton, it's it's getting close to about a third of of the students uh, are being educated in Catholic schools compared to to the size of the public system. The public system being about two thirds larger. It's quite uh, an opportunity to be able to. Uh, form those teachers in uh, uh, so they have a robust theological understanding, uh, as well as they're prepared to lead in a Catholic context with a Catholic ethos. So, so that's a great privilege to work with with that group, um, which we've been doing for for decades. Uh, particularly here uh, in Edmonton, we have a great relationship with Edmonton Catholic Schools. Um, they they send us a cohort of 25 or so uh, teachers every two years to do master's degrees in religious education so that's a uh, an exciting opportunity to work with those those teachers who are on the front lines with our with our young people
0: especially now we certainly need that leadership and the uh the example too right of of teachers and other adults to to kids in a uh, such a secular world that we live in now, Jason, right? So that, yeah, so that formation yeah. is so, so important.
1: It also gives them the opportunity as well, because they're studying over a few years part-time together to form a community of teachers mm. who have a shared faith and interest in uh, promoting uh, uh, religious education within the schools. So uh, because sometimes that can be, a you know, even at a Catholic school at times that can be a lonely uh, job, you know, because there's, um, you know, it is a large system and there's, you know, of course, a whole diversity of people who are who are working in it all, you know, serving the mission of the school. But, uh, you know, that can still be a a challenging area to do alone.
0: And it's really been encouraging to see a lot more advocacy for Catholic education over the last couple of years. I think we were
1: Mm -hmm. a little
0: bit broadsided by um, maybe even just uh, taking for granted that we have Catholic education and a choice in education here in Alberta. Uh, and until recent years, I think we maybe took that for granted as, uh, as a church community in Alberta. Mm-hmm. So uh, so it's great to see we've got, uh, you know, even advocacy groups like Grace. Uh, you're probably familiar with them, Jason, here in yeah. Alberta. Uh, grateful Advocates for Catholic Education, I believe, is what it uh, stands for. And yeah. uh, it's great to see that the community is uh, being built up. So uh, let's keep uh, praying for our mm-hmm. Catholic teachers and those who are advocating for education to our Catholic education to our students and our young people it's uh, so so important um, so this is b- pretty exciting this news uh, you mentioned this to me a couple months ago already and I've been meaning to get you on Jason to talk books I think it's really important and it's uh, uh, it's a uh, it's also hopeful for other people that are uh, that listen from outside of Alberta to see what we're doing here uh, at a local level in the Edmonton Archdiocese with the Newman Theological College and what that means to even the rest of the country because Uh, the college itself does not just service for do service for the archdiocese but it spreads across canada as well the good fruits so uh, tell us about this process of getting this uh this grant uh who these uh this uh, organization is it's a philanthropic uh, organization out of the united states so maybe tell us about the process and what motivated uh, uh, newman to uh, newman's to to apply for Mm -hmm. this grant and yeah what that process looked like jason
1: Sure. Well, well, it was a, a long one. <laughs> so uh, people don't give away a million dollars easily, as That's you right. might imagine. Uh, but this, uh, yeah, the Lilly Endowment is a, a family foundation in the States, uh, uh, rising out of a large uh, a family that founded a, what became a very large pharmaceutical company. Uh, but they're uh, particular. the endowment itself is particularly interested, uh, amongst other things, in Local churches, parishes, and how they foster enriched communities, Uh, and and so they're interested in theological education insofar as we're providing leaders for local parish churches, Uh, and and they uh, seeing the effects of COVID uh, and understanding that theological education is uh, you know a fragile uh endeavor Uh, these institutions are very difficult to build and easy to destroy (laughs) Um, uh, they were worried about the pandemic and its influence amongst other things and uh, they wanted to ensure these theological schools in Newman's case we've been here for over 50 years how can we be here for the the next 50. Uh, and they identified about a half a dozen or so challenges that they thought theology schools uh, we're facing things like lower enrollments uh, increased uh, immigration in our communities and um, challenges of accessibility uh, to theological education for new immigrants you know so we have larger proportion of, of new immigrants in our churches as members, but those people can't always access the opportunities to become leaders. So making that more accessible was you know, uh, one of their goals. So they have a range of goals and, and uh, uh, ours uh, in looking at it, we thought uh, really the one of increasing enrollment was uh, critical and, and fit our circumstance very well. Uh, because we we know we've, through our assessment and our accreditation processes, we know we have first-class programs uh, that meet uh, the requirements of the church, uh, the international expectations for excellence in education, uh, and we have uh, wonderful faculty who are qualified, uh, most of whom have doctorates in their, their areas and uh, those who don't have rich experience in uh, the areas that they're teaching, pastoral experience that they're able to sh- to share uh, with our students, but none of this matters if we don't have students in the classroom. We've had trouble in, in no matter which new programs or things we might introduce to try to increase enrollment. We end up being fairly stable in our growth. There there hasn't been much uh, change there. Uh, and in our seminary, uh, the numbers have gone, fluctuated, they've gone up and down over the last 10, 15 years or so. Uh, so, so that was a concern for us. Uh, and, and so Lily uh, put their money where their mouth is. They they started with $90 million. Uh, and by the end, they had gotten some really great proposals. They increased it. To, I think they're spending about $150 million on this uh, project over the next uh, three years. Uh, three years. So that's uh, substantial. Um, and, and we're very grateful to them for that opportunity. Uh, and, and so it started uh, initially, they were giving a, a $50,000 grant, which was a planning grant to help institutions plan how to, how to get through COVID and and how to uh, orient themselves towards the future. So we applied for that. Uh, and I, and, uh, and when we received that uh, last summer, we did uh, we used that money really to to do a fairly intensive study of uh, our our local situation. Uh, we had a number of focus groups and interviews with uh, everyone from bishops, school principals, and superintendents. Uh, we did uh, we talked with parents and students and seminarians. Uh, we had a great uh, focus group with. You know, parents who had uh, more than one uh, child uh, enter into a religious vocation, whether in a seminary or a religious order. Uh, so we we were able to get a really a, a rich uh, range of feedback in terms of what's leading students into seminary uh, as well as lay laic- studying for lay laic- ecclesial uh, leadership, because we we're, were concerned with both those areas. Uh, and as a result of that we put together a a plan uh, which we sent in and it was this plan that they they're funding for the for a million dollars just under a million dollars American and that uh, has a number of facets to it Uh, one is uh, some uh, one piece is, I mean, it may sound boring, but it's important, uh, sort of building infrastructure. So this allows us, uh, you know, uh, one of the the, the concerns is uh, we don't know who the young people are as a church who are actually engaged in the church. Right. If a young person comes to uh, their parish on Sunday, uh, maybe they're on their student council at high school. So they, they're showing some sort of sign of leadership. Uh, For young people, there's nobody who can connect those dots and say, look, there's a young person here who has three or four or five points of contact with the church. So we want to be able to uh, identify that uh, so that we can build a relationship with those uh, young people who are searching and and are engaged uh, so that they know what the opportunities are for for education and leadership within our, our church community. Uh, So we're going uh, from a model which you know, um, you know, where we have one vocation director for the diocese alone, to trying to bring together the resources of our community. That so building a network of Catholic institutions that are in in touch with young people, uh, and uh, placing this question of, of vocation. Uh, to the forefront of our minds. So rather than waiting for the, the fish to come jump into the boat, uh, we're, we're going to put out our nets <laughs> in a, in a, and use the, you know, the, the kind of skills of, of fishermen, if you will, <laughs> the natural uh, techniques that we know work in other areas of life. How can we apply them uh, here in terms of of marketing, recruiting, and and so forth?
0: Well, and that's an interesting point, Jason, because we we're talking about two networking, and uh, you know, during this time of of the the virus and this pandemic, we've seen a lot of people isolate, especially Catholics, right? And in the the yeah. uh, normal or, or the the regular or usual uh, community events that we would have at a parish or even at a school level. They're just, they just haven't been there the last couple of years. So in some ways we've actually really lost touch with each other a little bit too, Jason, where, you know, these communities and these, uh, these uh, events that maybe happened before where we could network amongst each other, get Mm -hmm. to know each other, identify people that, uh, maybe do have a vocation or would like to get some more formation in a, a leadership role, Maybe that's all been lost. So is that kind of part of the focus too? Jason is just reestablishing that uh, connection to the community.
1: Yeah, for sure. And and some of that, I mean, as a college, obviously, we aren't uh, able to do that primarily, right? But with that, we are, you know, we can be a um, instigator with our other partners, <laughs> you know, in terms of, uh, you know, because that's a responsibility really for the church as a whole. Uh, but what we can do is is help coordinate it, vivify it and and, uh, and also hopefully provide opportunities for more ongoing connection and formation. Um, yeah so so that that background piece was particularly important also you know we discovered there's no research in Canada uh, on vocations to the Catholic Church uh, in, in the sense of you know so if you wanted to know well, uh, where over the last 10 years, what are the factors that were important in leading a, seminarians to choose uh, to enter the seminary? Well, nobody knows. Uh, there, there is some good uh, studies and models uh, in the uh, United States. Uh, and, uh, and so we have uh, – so one piece of this is to do that research. Uh, and with this, we've contracted just uh, last week with uh, a group called Kara which is the Center for Applied Research in the Apostolate at uh, Georgetown University. Uh, And they've been studying these trends in the United States now for over 20 years. And uh, we're working with them to adapt their study to the Canadian context. And then they'll begin studying uh, these uh, things uh, uh, both through surveys and quantitative uh, analysis uh, in the Canadian context. So, over the next couple of years, we'll start to have information uh, for Canadian seminaries. Uh, where are the students coming from? What's leading them there? Uh, what are the obstacles that are preventing those who were considering it but decide not to come? Uh, you know, all of that kind of information, which will help us allow uh, to develop. Approaches to building relationships that can be more successful in in in, in uh, reaching out to to young people. So uh, you know, so so that's really uh, exciting. Then we want to uh, build on that by uh, again working in partnership with some people who are already providing events locally and throughout Alberta. So we've made a lot of contacts, particularly in Calgary, uh, and and working with. Um, events that are already taking place and then seeing you know where can we uh, provide opportunities. One of the things that we heard uh, quite clearly was that um, transformational events were really uh, important for a lot of people in, in deciding upon a vocation. So a World Youth Day or a, a parish mission or um, going on a retreat, these sorts of events were particularly important uh, but then, uh, finding opportunities to build upon them was also indicated. Uh, so, uh, why, you know, why does one person have a great experience and that leads them to a lifelong engagement in the church, whereas somebody else goes has the same great experience and for them it becomes a memory after a few months and their life goes back to, to what it was. Uh, and so we're trying to look at how can we catch that person and provide a ongoing formational opportunities that help them to foster that spark that they got.
0: Well, that's so important. And, you know, you look back, uh, there was a story about World Youth Day in Denver, Jason, back in, I guess that was 1992, 1993 in that area. And uh, uh, the, um, the increase in vocations uh, after a couple of years there was uh, significant uh, to the priesthood. And uh, also, just the uh, there's a lot of other apostolic uh, ministries and, and uh, apostolates themselves that started uh, by the laity uh, shortly after that World Youth Day visit. So, um, I know that was, that's pretty well documented. So, just as one example of many, I know that a lot of good fruit came from World Youth Day in Toronto as well. And, uh, but uh, boy, it's so important. You know, it's just like the business world, too, Jason. Sometimes you go out there, I know for myself, you launch a new product, everybody's excited to sell something new. And, uh, you know, it's uh, good for a month or two. And then, you know, it kind of the fire dies out a little bit. And then you go back to maybe what you did before. or You yeah, just kind of lose yeah. that zeal a little bit. So, yeah, how important is it to to build that community? But also, I guess, going back to that network again, but of just following up and, and staying in touch with people. And, um, you know, because this journey to heaven, Jason, it's it's a long one. It's same. St. Paul says we're, we're in it for, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint, right? We're, we're in it for the long haul and we need to, to journey (laughs) together with, uh, with people at their different uh, stages and ages in life. Right. So yeah, is, is that the kind of the focus, I guess? And would you say that the, um, I guess the primary, uh, aim is to, to attract more vocation specifically to the priesthood and religious life, or is it just kind of building that foundation of vocation and asking God, what do you want me to do? What is your will for my life?
1: Yeah, well, well, I think it's, it's the latter, right? I mean, uh, we, we want both, obviously, but we can only, uh, you know, getting to the point where, where you know, somebody has a vocation as a priest or religious, you know, that's a multi-year process, right? But if they enter the seminary, you know, it's at least seven more years down the road, right? Uh, so so that's a long-term uh, journey, and, and there's a long journey usually before somebody... You know, takes that step to enter into formal uh, preparation. Uh, and, and so it really is, uh, you know, uh, working with people to pose that question. And, and broadly speaking, uh, that's a good thing, regardless of whether it ends up uh, in somebody entering the seminary or somebody uh, deepening their faith, uh, and through that, getting married, raising a family and trying to to live out their vocation right because we all have a personal vocation uh from uh, from our lord uh we're all called to to holiness and sanctity so we need to become saints uh whether that's in uh, our ordinary work uh at a you know at a gas and oil company at a college uh sweeping the streets whatever uh and so Posing that vocational question uh, is important for all of us, regardless of, of, of what our answer to it ends up being. It has to be a yes to, to God's will for us uh, here. You know, I, I'm often really inspired by our, our namesake in this regard, a uh, reflection on, uh, on vocation, uh, where he says, uh, God has created me to do him some definite service. He's committed some work to me that he has not committed to another. I have my mission. I may may never know it in this life, but I shall be told it in the next. Somehow I am necessary for his purposes, Uh, as necessary as an archangel is in his own place. If I fail, he could raise another, as he could make stones uh, children of Abraham. Yet I have a part in this great work. I'm a link in a chain, a bond of connection between persons." He has not created me for naught. So I shall do good. I shall do His work. And so this is the you know the 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 question we're placing before each of us <laughs> uh, that we and each of those young people that we come in contact with. What, and, well, what is it that God has created you for? What's your mission that you've been entrusted with that makes a difference? Uh, and here you know we, we have both you know examples in sacred scripture, uh, examples in Catholic literature of uh, this playing out in different ways, right? We may feel like, um, you know, in in uh, J.R.R. Tolkien's great you know novel, *The Lord of the Rings*, right? We may feel like Frodo, we're a little <laughs> person, uh, you know, in our own little world, uh, more concerned with our you know the quality of our breakfast than any great <laughs> world affairs, but we're thrown into <laughs> uh, some great mission. That or a second to breakfast, keep. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and even if that remains the case, there's still a great mission that we have to to achieve through that. Right, some way we're going to be expressing uh, uh, either expressing God's love and helping others come to that uh, through a very mundane tasks, or or we won't be.
0: Um, I think that's such a from from uh, Saint John Henry Newman there that that quote. Uh, Jason, I know that's meant a lot to me in my life and, uh, mm-hmm. it rings even more true now, you know, we see so many young people, Jason, because of this pandemic, a lot of isolation, depression is up. Um, you know, even hear about, you know, even to, to the extreme of more suicides, even among mm-hmm. young people, this is so heartbreaking. I, I hear this from a lot of people in the community saying that, uh, the young people just, they don't know what their next step is in life. Sometimes they don't think they have a purpose. And uh, boy, that's heartbreaking to hear, especially when I hear that, you know, even amongst our, our Catholic community. But what would you say to a young person or really anybody at any age that they might feel like they, they don't have anything to contribute to the church or they don't have anything to contribute uh, in their vocation? What would you say to them to encourage them to um, to search out that that vocation, that the will of God in their lives and to to focus on the, uh, the virtues and the, the gifts of the spirit that they've already received through baptism and through confirmation, but what are some things that they can maybe stir the Holy Spirit in their, their souls and their hearts to, um, yeah, just to, to help with that discernment process?
1: Yeah. Well, I think that's, you know, you know, a great question because it's, it's so easy for, for us and, and, you know, for young people as well to underestimate ourselves, right. Uh, because we look at our own, uh, natural abilities or lack thereof and think, well, what could, what could I do? But um, in this, of course, we we know. I mean, and I think this is the thing we we all have to be reminded of uh, is is that it really relies on God's grace, not on my natural talents. My uh, I'm so clever. Uh, I'm so smart. <laughs> uh, I'll find the answer. But uh, uh, but that I can rely on God and His grace will guide us th- through that and lead us to great things if we. Uh, If we let it do its work, Uh, and and so here, you know, one, you know, um, yeah, I mean, there's, uh, it it hits me quite close to home because I have teenage, uh, you know, daughters who've had struggles with, you know, areas around depression or anxiety, and it's it's really heartbreaking, Uh, and and so I mean, it's it's really a matter of, you know, not being. Uh, willing to settle for for mediocrity, right, and, and having the um, ability to long for something great, <laughs> uh, to do something uh, beautiful for uh, for God, and uh, and that we can, and having the confidence that we can do it, not not because um, you know again not because. Uh, um, uh, uh, of our own natural abilities. I, I, I was teaching, uh, I'm teaching modern philosophy this year. And so one of the things we cover is uh, Frederick Nietzsche, who's a, a tr- profound critic of the church. And uh, he has this book about his own life. Um, and, and, and the, the chapters are, are all named this way you know, Why am I so clever? Why do I write such great books? <laughs> well, it, it, you know, if that's uh, our, you know, our hope, uh, you know, that, that you know our own natural talents are going to lead us, well, then then we're going to to put ourselves in a position to to be uh, disappointed, right? And it's not a coincidence that he ends up dying uh, in a, a mental asylum, uh, at the, you know, in a very sad way. Um, you know, so uh, I don't know how inspirational that is. I, I, I suppose the the um, the great image that I that I like in this regard is is that of uh, Saint Therese of Lisieux, the uh, the image of the uh, garden uh, that has many flowers, and her insight that not every uh, not every flower can be a rose, because she a girl who was uneducated and just wanted to to love God. Uh, so she couldn't be the the, or she thought she couldn't be the, you know, the, the great lily that everybody is drawn to. Uh, but if every garden in the uh, in the um, uh, in the if every flower in the garden is a a, a lily or a rose, um, something's missing. <laughs> you need these small these little flowers in the background that give balance to the the whole picture, uh, and uh, it takes just as much strength of will uh, to give your life uh, to God entirely um, uh, as a housewife or a good husband uh, or a um, carpenter as it does being president of a college, being uh, the premier of the province or, or whatever. Right? Giving everything is giving everything. <laughs> and, uh, and that's a hard no matter what your your context is. But, again, we don't have to do it alone. I think that was another point, you know, that you raised there as well, is it's not just our reliance on God, but also our reliance on one another, that we're part of a church. Uh, This is one of the great uh, gifts of Catholicism, I think, in contrast to some of our Protestant brothers and sisters who have a much more individualistic view of spirituality, right? That that we come to God together as a, a community. Uh, in our prayer, both the community of the living and and those who have gone before, the the saints and the souls in purgatory, uh, so we have a lot of uh, support on our, on on this journey. So that we don't have to do it all for ourselves.
0: Yeah, there's something very powerful about attending mass uh, with many people and uh, cel- and well being there to celebrate with others, but uh, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ made present in the mm-hmm. Holy Eucharist and uh, celebrating together. That's uh, very powerful. And, you know, Jason, you make a great point too about, you know, vocation, religious vocation is so important, but we just need good Catholics, formed Catholics, uh, and people of goodwill as well. Uh, other Christians that may belong, some of our separated brothers and sisters, they they can be mm-hmm. a great example to us too. But it's uh, I think it's very powerful when we live and if we work in a secular environment and if we have if people identify us as people of faith, as Catholics, if, if people have belonged to Jesus Christ, I think it's it's very mm-hmm. powerful to people. And uh, I know that, uh, you know, even in my secular work world, having a, a picture of Jesus or talking about your faith uh, doesn't have to be in your face, but it certainly can be an example if you just, you know, just add the little little comments here and there by your example, also by your word and always being prepared to, uh, to give an account of our faith to other people. I think it's just a... Uh, it's powerful and it it's needed today. It really is. So, um, is there sort of a, um, a model that, um, that, uh, you and sort of the leadership group at Newman's has looked at and saying, you know, uh, we've looked at, uh, maybe some higher education, um, institutes Catholic or, or not in the United States or in Europe, or maybe other places in Canada where we can learn some lessons with some of their successes, uh, whether that's just, a uh, maybe the style of a brick and mortar school or the delivery of the education or the outreach to, to gain more people to come to that particular institute. Have you made any observations uh, over the years on that and maybe some examples of how you'd like to maybe bring some of those best practices into to Alberta?
1: Yeah, we, we have. I mean, certainly when we were developing our, our Bachelor of Arts program, we did a, quite a comprehensive study around North America of uh schools uh and and new programs uh and uh some really interesting uh findings there uh it varies quite a lot because um of the context uh so in canada for example our situation is quite unique most uh catholic universities in canada are in a, what's called a federated ar- arrangement with a public university. So there'll be a, a, public univer- uh, a large public university um, with a Catholic college on their campus. And so we have that in Edmonton at University of Alberta, for instance, you have St. Joseph's College, which offers courses in the Catholic intellectual tradition to students at the broader public university. So that's a bit different than our context where we're offering our own programs. Uh, And and that's the more customary model for Canada. There's really only a couple of, uh, I can only think of two private uh, universities uh, in the Catholic tradition in Canada, St. Mary's in Calgary, uh, and Our Lady's Seat of Wisdom more recently in Ontario. Uh, So we did look at both of those programs uh, as well as uh, schools in the States. And of course, in the States, there's a larger diversity in, in some sense because uh, although they don't have the same sort of public Catholic universities that we do uh, to some degree in Canada, uh, they, uh, they have a, a, a wide array, right? So you have from Ivy League schools like uh, Fordham or Notre Dame to small local liberal arts colleges. Uh, but over the past number of years, 30 years or so, there have been a number of small uh, liberal arts colleges in the Catholic tradition that have sprung up uh, and have been uh, quite interesting in uh, drawing uh, very committed young people uh, to to study as well as well-formed Catholic leaders in other areas of professional work. Uh, So those models were interesting to us. We looked at uh, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas College in, in California, Uh, which uh, has a unique uh, program. Uh, St. Thomas More uh, College in um, New Hampshire, which is where uh, Dr. Topping uh, came uh, to us from, who's leading this uh, Pathways to Ministry um, project. Uh, And and, uh, one of the things that we found was amongst these sort of smaller schools, uh, those that were doing well and attracting students, a key factor was a commitment to to the teachings of the church, uh, and so teaching the the, the the riches of of the Catholic tradition was a, a attractive uh, to young people. This also fit with some of the uh, sociological studies we've looked at, which are finding uh, that. Um, you know, in that younger demographic, uh, you, there, there's sort of a tension because you find a larger number of young people who are not identifying with religion at all, the, uh, the, uh, what we call the nuns, not the uh, ones with habits, but, <laughs> but those who, who have no religious uh, belief uh, or say they have no religious belief, and those who identify with uh, religious practice. Uh, and uh, amongst those who do identify with the religious practice, they're far more likely to say that it is either important or extremely important to them. Uh, and, and so when we look at the older demographic, those in, in sort of our age group, uh, those who are, are middle aged or, or older, uh, there's a larger number of people who are saying they identify as religious, but they, they're more likely to say uh, it's uh, somewhat important or not that important uh, to, to them in, in their daily life. And that's reflected in terms of their different measures of practice as well. So, so what we seem to have is a smaller group within the young people, but a more committed group. Uh, and in some ways, that's exciting because we're, we're not called to a life of uh, mediocrity or you know it's not just a matter of assenting uh yes i'm christian but i'm not doing anything about it that that's that's not uh uh very helpful <laughs> in the life of the the, the church uh, again not that we want to push those people further away we want to bring them fully into uh, you know, to see uh what a deeper love for christ could be um,
0: well, I think it's magnanimity, right, Jason? We're yeah, all called to that yeah. spiritual greatness. Uh, I believe Pope Benedict talked about uh, frequently. And uh, boy, yeah, that's, uh, that, that is so important. That is an invitation that we all, um, you know, we, uh, we need to give to our young people. It's, it's interesting how you're talking about uh, the different colleges. Everybody's got kind of a different approach. Um, you know, we talk about young people that maybe might not know what God's will is for them in their life, right? And uh, mm-hmm. we all have talents. Almost all, all of us has a lot of talents, and sometimes it's just a matter of discerning what they, what they are. But what's that connection? I think uh, I think it's important to maybe talk about too. You know, I know that you're a, um, a follower of Saint Thomas Aquinas, and and I've have, 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 uh, talked about him often. Um, but how important is it for us to, especially as young people, because those are still very formidable years, Jason? Right? I know I, I was like probably you too when you're 18, mm-hmm. eighteen, you're errand to go and out into the world then now we look back at our youth and we're like man we were really missing the boat on a lot of stuff because we were just so immature uh, in so many ways especially spiritually but um how important is it for young people to to get into that um uh, that daily routine of of prayer but also of study and I think what uh you know what what Newman Theological College is doing and through the uh, through this this new program that uh, mm-hmm. that uh, dr Ryan topping is uh, the director of now and you're involved with it's uh it's really that um, that classical education Catholic mm-hmm. education but it's it's working it's studying it's praying it's all those things coming together at once and uh, certainly not excluding people if they're a little older and they're interested in this but how important is it though for young people to really be grounded in their faith and to learn about their faith and it's kind of a good way for everything to kind of come together, right, Jason? As you're yeah, discerning yeah. God's will in their lives.
1: Yeah, well, it's really uh, vital, right? Because uh, virtue, we know, is a habit. Right, we acquire virtues by doing virtuous things over and over. So the fact that I, uh, you know, I do th- the right thing once does not make me have the, you know, the virtue of fortitude or self-discipline or, or courage or justice, uh, I've got to be doing it repeatedly. So having that, that uh, disciplined plan of life and a structure uh, is really helpful, both for the, the, the life of prayer, because otherwise um, I, I may develop that life of prayer when I feel very uh, moved and, and passionate about my love for God, uh, but being human, those emotions tend not to last. <laughs> uh, uh, they they tend to come and go. Uh, and uh, and uh, really, that prayer that I offer when it's very difficult and when I feel God's far from me may be far more uh, valuable and efficacious. How do we sustain that uh, if we don't have some sort of intellectual understanding of God and? Of myself, who I am as a human person, right? Uh, that, uh, 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 so a, a religion that's just piety, as good as piety is, and in some sense, you know, with grace sufficient, um, uh, tends to, to be um, fragile. It, it can be rocked uh, easily uh, when my mood changes or when my circumstances change. Uh, and so having an intellectual foundation uh, really allows and supports that perseverance through uh, the, you know, what uh, St. John of the Cross calls the dark night of the soul, <laughs> where, where we, we don't feel God's presence, where we feel uh, as if uh, maybe even you know, St. Teresa of Calcutta speaks of feeling as if God hated her for 50 years, uh, and yet She's living this cheerful example of Christian witness, which moved so many uh, millions of people. So, so that intellectual foundation really uh, is very uh, helpful, even in the order of the, the spiritual life. Uh, also because you know, we, we can continue certain, uh, you know, if we have those pious habits, they may continue on their own for, for a while because we're used to it. Uh, but uh, if we don't understand the reason for them, uh, if we don't understand um, God's nature, our own human nature, um, and, and see the reason behind the uh, faith that we're living, uh, we won't go on with it. Uh, we, we might go on with it for a generation, uh, but, uh, or, or, or we might go on for a season of our life. Uh, but eventually, without reasons, we're going to give up, right? Not many of us uh, in our current culture are, you know, really going to be committed to a religious practice because my grandparents expected of me, or uh, it's what, uh, you know, the, the everybody else is doing it, so I guess I'll go along. That's not the world we, we live in anymore, right? Uh, so unless we have a, a deep understanding of uh, as St. Peter says in his letter of the, you know, be ready to give a, a reason for the hope that is in you. So unless we can articulate the reasons uh, for our faith, we'll give it up. Uh, and, and that's why, you know, as parents, it's so important for us to to engage with, you know, in catechism with our, with our children so that we really understand why we're going to church. I remember when I, I, I as, as I talked to you, I think last time we were, uh, together, I, I mentioned uh, my. I think I told uh, about my conversion story last time I was on the show, and I remember when I entered, uh, when I was first coming to church before I, uh, well, uh, before I was baptized. Um, you know, asking uh, some of the members of my wife's family, you know, why, why do you cross yourself when you go into the church? Well, you know, many of them didn't know. They, that's just even though they've been brought up Catholic, just because well, that's just what we do when we go into church. And again, I say I say that not to cast dispersion on <laughs> my extended family. It's a common situation. Uh, but then once you start to understand the reasons for that, the reminder of our baptism that is there, uh, the invocation of the Trinity. You have a much richer sense of what's going on, uh, even just walking in the door of the church. Uh, And and so, you know, again, that can be, you know, a profound impetus to um, being more engaged with the life of faith. Because if I'm going to church and I don't understand, it's just a ritual and I don't really see the reasons for it. Uh, obviously, it's very easy to give it up other than, it, you know, it may have been meaningful, you know, because it's connected with my family in some way. But having that deeper grasp that a theological education gives, or even just a good catechesis uh, gives, uh, you know, enriches that practice, makes it so much more meaningful uh, that uh, why, why wouldn't one want <laughs> uh, to, to have that opportunity?
0: Yeah, that's, that's profound. I remember from that last conversation too, Jason, I remember you mentioning just the way that people went to receive communion. And I think what yeah. you were getting at was the disposition mm-hmm. of people. Uh, mm-hmm. Are we going up to receive a piece of bread or are we going to receive the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ? And that's a, that's a powerful example. And, you know, now we're in these big parishes, right, Jason? I mean— uh, uh, we don't really know who's coming through those doors. There could be a lot of people that come in and they're really searching for the truth. And, uh, you know, you hear mm-hmm. some conversion stories of people that aren't Catholic and they would sneak into the back of the church and they would just watch everybody in. And every time I hear that, I always uh, I always check myself when I go to Mass to say, I you know, especially if there's people that you kind of don't recognize their faces. I wonder what their reason is for being here. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're looking to see, you know, what, what we've heard about the Catholic Church because think of how open we are. You can just walk into a Catholic church. You know, maybe yeah. some people are afraid or something. Well, hey, I don't think I can go into a Catholic church. Absolutely, you can. Uh, you know, you can come into our basilica and just, you know, at Saint Joseph's, we have a beautiful one here in Edmonton. You can just take a look around at the architecture, at the, and mm-hmm. of course, of the people and, and their faith. And uh, you know, we really do believe in Jesus Christ, and He is present in the tabernacle, and it's uh, so important that we have that disposition too. Um, you know as time is just flying Jason as we always have great conversations I'm so happy that you join us I do want to leave you with this and I think it ties into you know what what you guys are doing with with uh, at Newman's and uh, you know just this uh, this focus on vocation and uh, building up a community of, of real warriors in our church and and, and being uh, uh, having that holy holiness and that example to to others Um we have so many trade or headwinds, I should say, that are against us in the church from our secular society. We, we don't live in a, in a Christian world anymore. It can be very difficult, especially for young people and, and even for adults as well. But how important is it for us to live a sacramental life, you know, a life that's that we're walking in right relationship with God, living in a state of grace?
1: Well, I think that's well obviously it's, it's vital right I mean that's the, the church teaches us these sacraments are uh, a visible sign of God's grace which we need uh, and it's one thing to know in the abstract that God loves me that uh, his you know his grace will provide. It's another thing to tangibly see a physical sign of it and and to have it uh, present to us because we are, physical beings. Uh, and so I think, you know, if we are in the position of, you know, as we were talking about young people, you know, who may, you know, be suffering depression or anxiety and these things feeling alone, what can I do? Again, there's, there's good psychological uh, support that one can get and one should certainly, if, if they need it, see their physician, but also you know, beyond that, you um, being able to receive the sacraments, particularly those of, uh, of uh, Holy Communion and uh, the Holy Eucharist and confession, which we can do uh, really anytime we, we want. Uh, uh, we can go to mass and receive communion daily. We can go and, and uh, receive uh, uh, confession or reconciliation uh, monthly or weekly even if we, if we want uh in, in that we we'll re- there's a tangible awareness that we're not alone in this struggle that god is uh is uh with, a, with us carrying that cross uh for us uh and, and so without that uh how can one avoid feel, feeling alone if everything relies just on my own uh strength and natural talent uh cuz I know I, my, my talents are, are very uh, few and limited, uh, even though I've had great opportunities for, for study and prayer and uh, great advisors and all sorts of things that I'm grateful for. Nevertheless, I'm a sinner. <laughs> so, so, uh, so I, I managed to, to uh, uh, undermine some of that, uh, unless I'm going back uh, and, and having that habit as well uh, really helps in the cases where where our sinfulness does arise or our destruct, self destructiveness does arise, uh, because if I'm going to communion every day, if I'm going to confession regularly, uh, it doesn't become a landslide. <laughs> uh, if 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 we don't have those supports calling us back to the love of God, it's very easy for our life to. Go off course, uh, and um, Saint Thomas Aquinas has a nice saying uh, that uh, a small mistake in the beginning becomes a big mistake in the end, mm-hmm. uh, and and so if uh, if we don't course correct regularly, uh, then um, we end up being very far off the mark. Right. So so that opportunity to go back to confession, whether it's uh, and I'd encourage everybody to have a specific time in mind, whether it's monthly or, or weekly um, is somewhat less important, but that it be regularly, certainly more than the once a year that's the minimal requirement, right? Because in a year, my life can go pretty far off track if I'm not uh, un- engaging in uh, that regular examination of conscience and rectifying my, my course. So so the sacraments, you know, provide that uh, opportunity even from just a purely natural perspective, aside from the fact that God is actually entering me, transforming me into Christ when I receive the the Holy Eucharist to share and uh, being a a member of the body of Christ, uh, you know, in a profoundly spiritual way in in, in reality, not just as a sort of uh, symbol uh even aside from that just in terms of the natural um effects of having that regular reminder whether it's you know weekly at sunday mass or daily if i'm able to fit going to to mass daily uh into my schedule or you know if i can't do that maybe even just as i'm driving by a church being aware that Mm. jesus is present there and saying a short prayer uh, to to our Lord in the tabernacle as we are going by, yeah. So so I mean, there's no replacement for for that.
0: No, that's for sure. That's so good. Well, Jason, thanks so much for your time. I'm real excited to have this uh, this opportunity to uh, to chat with you about uh, a real exciting opportunity and and this uh, this uh, money that is now uh, accessible to Newman Theological College and the good fruit that's going to come from it. So I'm really excited about it. So, maybe Jason, tell us uh, again how people can get a hold of Newman Theological College if they're interested in taking uh, some courses or finding out more about the the options, uh, the educational options that are
1: available. Sure. Well, uh, the easiest way is on our website, uh, www.newman.edu. Uh, and, and every all, all of our programs are there. And you can also get in touch with us. Um, send me an email, give me a call. Uh, go for a coffee. I, uh, we can, uh, I'm happy to chat with anybody who's, who's interested in these things. So,
0: Well, that's great. Thanks, Jason. And a good uh, social media presence as well from uh, Newman Theological College. You can follow them online as well. So Jason, uh, thanks again for uh, taking the time for us. I look forward to catching up with you again soon.
1: Yeah, thanks a lot, David.
0: Big thanks again to Dr. Jason West for joining us on this episode of the podcast. You can follow Newman Theological College through their website, newman.edu. You can find out information about uh, the various academic programs that they have, and also more information about this fantastic grant that they just recently received. And uh, feel free to reach out to Jason through social media on Facebook and Twitter. And remember, you know, when we're promoting vocations, it really all starts in the domestic church. That is in our own homes. So families, especially men, we've got to pray with our wives, for our wives, for our children and hey we might be even a little bit older already well that's okay that shouldn't stop you from making sacrifices spiritual sacrifices and praying for your grandchildren and being an example of being faithful to jesus christ in your life and in your marriage and uh, the way you conduct your everyday business and everyday life it's so important that we provide those examples to others so uh, you know, just because uh, the mission of the, the, the church's mission to evangelize and to bring souls to Christ started 2,000 years ago with Jesus Christ, well, it certainly didn't end with the apostles and it uh, doesn't end today either. Uh, the mission just becomes more important and greater as time goes on. So let's keep praying for each other, keep praying for vocations and fostering that uh, environment where people can grow closer to Christ and to uh, open their hearts to what God has in mind for them, opening their hearts to the will of Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, if we follow Christ's will every day, uh, we're going to be happy. That is the, the true key to happiness. And having that sacramental life, that is the most important thing. And in order to really foster that, we've got to be living life in a state of grace. And as we're recording this right now, it's the Lenten season. It's one of the three times you got to go to confession, right, Catholics? we got to go at least three times every year, every Advent, every Lent, and any time you're in a state of mortal sin, don't even spend a second of your life there. Thanks for listening to the podcast, everyone. God bless. We'll chat with you very soon.